Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And our trusty co-host Noel is on the road uh, on an adventure. All will be revealed in time, I believe, is the party line. Yeah, uh, he's on an, on the road on an adventure just a couple of feet away from us. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, they. Who am I? They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deckett. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Wait, Ben, there's somebody else in the room, too. You're right, Matt. Your spider sense is, uh, as always, disturbingly accurate. We are not delving into today's topic alone, are we, Matt? No, we are not. Today we are joined by Lauren Vogelbaum, that you may know from Saver. Brain stuff. Oh my gosh, so many. Um, and if you are not already aware, uh, Saver is the new 
version of what was once food stuff. Uh, right. Yes. It's essentially the same show, but now we go on the road sometimes and talk to actual human people, aside from ourselves, we're mostly mm. human people, about uh, food, food and culture and science and how all those things work together and why, why we eat the way that we eat. It's an awesome new thing, experience to listen to Savor, just hearing you in places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a whole lot of fun as a listener. Just wanted to say that on on mic. Oh, thank, thank, thank you so much. And we defer to you, Lauren, fairly often in the show when something food-related comes up. That's, that's why we asked you to come here today. Yeah. Oh, you didn't just want to hang out? Well, that too. Ah. That too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, m- mostly? Yeah, it's mostly hanging out, and then you're going to know more stuff about this than we do, maybe. Actually, definitely. I believe you entirely? <laughs> I enjoy that. I enjoy that strange shrug. Uh, Lauren, you have been on the show in the past before you have joined us for an exploration of the diamond industry. Oh, right. Yeah, specifically not food-related, that one. But, right. um, but yeah, who I'm still mad about diamonds. <laughs> You may notice that there's a reoccurring theme here. We bring you on for terribly depressing things. Yeah, that's why when you said hang out, I was a little taken aback. <laughs> yeah. At this point, you you pretty much know the score. Well, I mean, hy- I mean, hypothetically, I did some of the research here anyway, so yeah. One of these – well, I mean, one of these episodes one day maybe will be a fun and delightful one. Do you guys do fun and delightful episodes? We did. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> Nope. You just never invite sort of. me. I see. Nope. Yeah, no, we, we do. But we are so glad that you are here today, especially because we are catching you right before you take another trip for Saver. Oh, yeah. Uh, tomorrow I'm flying out to New Orleans with producer <gasps> Dylan and uh, and my co-host Annie, and oh. we're going we're gonna to eat and drink some stuff. Mm. We're going to talk to some people about it. I'm so jealous. That's some of my favorite food that exists on the planet. Oh, I can't eat bell peppers, so it's going to oh, be yeah. rough going for me, but it's going to be just all right. I, I'm, I'm going to just make up for it in cocktails. You can also get your own parade, which I know I keep, yeah. telling, keep telling everyone, don't blow up the spot if you, lis- if you live in New Orleans and you don't know about this, but it's not that expensive mm-hmm. to pay, outside of Mardi Gras season, to pay a band to do a parade for you and you get to walk in the front or I guess wherever you want at that point. Impromptu parades with only two hand grenades. That's all. That's the maximum amount of hand grenades you can have in one night. I'm telling you. That's that, a drink, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, not, not physical uh, weapons. Right. Um, today, Don't drink those at all. Uh, no, no. Sorry, yeah. mm-hmm. You guys, today we are talking about uh, a, a major company that most people know about. They are the creators of such foods for cats and dogs as Alpo, Beneful, and Fancy Feast. That's right. That's right. Today we are exploring the disarming and perhaps surprising story of a company called Nestle. But that's not all they've created. Yeah, um, you know, candy from uh, Kit Kats to Butterfingers, coffee brands like Taster's Choice, Nescafe, Coffee Mate, and Starbucks packaged coffees – Baking products from Libby's and Carnation, frozen and refrigerated foods like Stouffer's, California Pizza Kitchen, Hot Pockets, Lean Cuisine, and DiGiorno, and Tombstone. Uh, dessert brands like Haagen-Dazs, Edie's, Skinny Cow, Boost and Power Bar Nutritional Supplements, Gerber Baby Foods, Purina Pet Foods, and they have a 30% ownership of L'Oreal, including cosmetics brands like Garnier, The Body Shop, and Maybelline, and perfume lines from Ralph Lauren, Giorgio Armani, and Yves Saint Laurent. Wow. And that's nowhere near 
all of it. Did we hit Perrier and San Pellegrino? Oh, I didn't even mention the water. Right, right. Water, there, there are multiple brands of water as well. This company casts a large, not entirely sugary shadow, you know? For a lot of us in the U.S., we associate Nestle with maybe like Nescafe or like a, a Nestle Crunch candy bar. But every single thing that Matt and Lauren just named is owned by Nestle. There's so much more to the story. Nestle is huge. It's gargantuan. It is like uh, – I don't want to ruin the surprise yet. But it's big. Let's just go with that. It's and, like the Facebook of foods. You know what? That oh. is disturbingly accurate. But this this is true. When Nestle first started out, they only made one thing, one real breakthrough. It was uh, it was condensed milk and baby formula. Yeah. Which was massively important. And that's why it became such a big company. Mm-hmm. It, they started in a place, which was a good place to start, babies. Right, right. Uh, just like Wu-Tang, Nestle <laughs> was for the kids. Right? <laughs> yeah. So – Here's Just a like here's a terrible joke that we we weren't proud of, but we're going to do anyway. Matt, would you like to do the condensed history of Nestle? Grown because it's con- <laughs> condensed like the milk. Yes. Okay. Like, like the can <gasps> of milk. We we saw what you did there. I feel like this joke only gets better the more that we try Just to overexplain it. Let it hang there. Yeah. So Nestle is named for its <laughs> primary food wizard, Henri Nestle. He was born August tenth. 1814. Henri Nestle begins his career as a pharmacist's assistant before moving to Switzerland and qualifying to practice as a pharmacist and chemist. So that's pretty cool. He moves on to become a a pharmacist and chemist. That's a great job to have. Sure. Mm. That's chemist. That's cool. Yeah. And this was a, this was a much broader term back in the 1800s, right? A chemist could be mixing any sort of thing, you know, an agglomeration of potions. For for Henri, uh, one of his primary focuses was always food science. Mm-hmm. He experimented with other stuff like cement, uh, which hopefully was not a food experiment. But he also experimented with lemonade, cooking oils. Eventually, he moves toward this idea of condensed milk or some sort of replacement for breast milk for nursing parents. Uh, Yeah, condensed milk was developed by Gail Borden, yes, that Borden, in the United States in the 1850s and was hugely important in feeding Civil War troops. Right. Yeah, it's weird because nowadays, I I don't know about everyone, I can't speak for everyone, but nowadays condensed milk seems like it has a bit of a a niche. You know what I mean? It's not super widespread. No one's no one's going to a restaurant and saying, you know, I'll have the number three with uh, condensed milk to drink. Yeah, yeah, well, it's it was a much needed product for a lot of people at the time. Uh, sure, you know th- these days I think it's mostly a baking ingredient. Mm-hmm. You're buying sweetened condensed milk to put in like a pumpkin pie or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, you know the this was back in the what like 1860s, 1870s. Yeah. This was before refri- refrigeration technology was a thing. And it was also a time when industrialization was on the rise. And along with that, this increase in concern about food purity. You know, more people were moving into cities away from sources of fresh foods. Um, More foods were being manufactured, but regulations had not been set up yet. And there was also this religiously influenced temperance movement um, or a series of movements going Mm -hmm. on in both America and Europe where people were thinking harder about what they put in their bodies. So like all of this – led to this thing where condensed milk 
being marketed and, to be fair, generally created to be safe and long-lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were considered good yeah. products. Right. Yeah, because it's dependable too and it's consistent, which I think was a huge deal. Sure. So in 1867, just like a year after saying, I'm going to work with condensed milk, Nestle develops this milk-based baby food that he calls uh, farine lacti, which is – I'm woefully mispronouncing that, but it means flour with milk in English. So it's cow's milk, wheat flour, and sugar to, you know, I guess sweeten the whole contraption. And as we know, whenever you hear stories about inventors or inventions, it's usually pretty difficult to pin uh, an entire invention on a single person. Yeah, I think there were two or three people who were developing a very similar product around the same time, first Mm. in the form of a liquid condensed food and then very shortly afterwards in terms of like a powdered condensed food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we remember Nestle as a pioneer of baby formula because this baby formula was a catalyst for his company and really propelled the growth of the entire operation. Nestle originally, according to the story, Nestle develops this because he knows that some new mothers cannot breastfeed or some infants cannot be breastfed for one reason or another. And this invention, if he can get it off the ground, will help mitigate the cartoonishly high infant mortality rates of the time. Yeah, things were bad for infants uh, back then. And this is a real thing where once children, once very young children start eating any formula of this kind, it's very, very difficult for them to get back onto like a breast milk or something if you're trying to switch back. Mm. Um, I'm not saying this is a terrible thing. You did a great thing to stop babies from dying. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it also creates this whole other problem that we're going to maybe talk about a little bit later on. Uh, sure, yeah. And there's also the, the issue of once uh, a mother stops producing milk – for her infant because of the switch to a formula, then it's hard for her to kickstart it again. Yeah. Um, and previous to this technology, to this food technology being invented, your your only recourse if you couldn't personally breastfeed your child was to hire a wet nurse. And of course, that's not a thing that everyone had financial access to. And this would be essentially someone who breastfeeds your baby for you. Right. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. You can see how difficult that would be for a, a ton of people yeah. in this area in Switzerland, but also throughout the world. Yeah, most right? people. I think it's safe to say most people. And in 1875, sales are taking off. He's doing super well, gangbusters. Uh, Nestle sells his company and his factory to three local businessmen who aggressively expand both the research and the sales departments. Around this time, even before that expansion, Nestle products are sold everywhere from Indonesia to Argentina. Again, a global supply chain, which as, as you point out, Lauren, is super difficult to pull off without refrigeration or planes. <laughs> They're just, I guess, going by boat, huh? And train, probably rail. But where's the chocolate? You're wondering, right? Possibly. Uh, in 1879, Nestle merges with Daniel Peter, who is arguably the inventor of milk chocolate. I mean, at least he's the one who gets the credit for it. Uh, right. Before then, they had been selling some of their condensed milk products to that guy. Mm. And that's kind of how his milk chocolate business started off. And wow. then it just kind of rolled up into each other. Yeah. Which which makes sense. That's the way a lot of uh, business relationships mm. tend to go, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you, Daniel Peter, 
for milk chocolate. I think it's weird that you have two first names, but yes, thank you. <laughs> hey, some of us just have that affliction, okay? Oh, Matt, I am so sorry. It's I just fun. realized it. I guess it feels <laughs> normal because we hang out all the time. Yeah. But Daniel Peter, it's just, it's a weird name. It's Whatever. the name I would use as a fake name. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my profound apologies if you if I have made you feel slighted, my old friend. Uh, Daniel Peter did some great stuff. He, he uh, you know, invented milk chocolate. People generally like that. Because of him, Kit Kats exist. Yes. In oh, the, they're delicious. <laughs> they're great. The Japanese ones. Oh, all the flavors. The oh. green tea one was so much better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I've got some banana ones in my desk right now. They're life-changing. I see you also like to live dangerously. <laughs> if they're that could I could I try one after of the course, show? Of course, awesome. yeah. So in 1905, Nestle or the company he founded, rather, merges with an outfit called the Anglo-Swiss Condensed Milk Company, and they form what is now known as the Nestle Group. They have a bunch of mergers and name changes, but today we call them Nestle SA. They are the world's largest fast-moving consumer goods company <laughs> in terms of revenue. They make a ton of money. Yes, Get this. In 2017, there was a total revenue for Nestle SA, the the actual name of the company now, of $90.8 billion with a B. Holy crapola. That's a, that's a lot of Kit Kats. It's all those DiGiornos. Mm. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's partially my fault. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they're still headquartered in Switzerland. They employ over 300,000 people. They own more than 2,000 different brands. If you shop in a mainstream grocery store, you're probably buying more Nestle stuff than you think. They also own almost 500 factories in countries across the world. Their most popular products are powdered and liquid beverages, still, which, is, which I think is interesting. And, and this is the point where we have to encounter ethics and philosophy for a second because we'll often hear pop philosophers say that, you know, at the heart of every fortune lay some great crime. Mm. Uh, and that's – it's not something you could really prove but there's an argument people make that says no company or individual can attain this much financial success without at some point along the way engaging in unethical or at the very least controversial activity. And Nestle's no different. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of critics of this company that exist that you will find online especially – and the, these criticisms don't just come from people who disagree with the company's um, strategies, their investment strategies. Mm -hmm. there, there is a very deep and dark rabbit hole that we're about to go down, people, right after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Here's where it gets crazy. Nestle is accused of a ton of dastardly activities around the planet. The first one, which might be surprising to some people familiar to others, is Nestle's, uh, Nestle's water business. Yeah. You've seen Nestle water, bottled water probably somewhere near a grocery store, in a grocery store, at a quick Convenience trip. store, <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, and you may have also seen San Pellegrino or Perrier, their sparkling version, somewhere on those shelves. Yeah. In 2005, a documentary called We Feed the World came out. Ooh, wow. That's uh, a little pompous, but that's okay. <laughs> and it featured uh, the CEO of Nestle at the time, a guy named – Peter Brabeck Lemete, and he made this observation that became infamous and went viral. And we have the the quote today. Uh, Matt, Matt, would you want to do the honors? Oh, absolutely. Water is, of course, the most important raw material we have today in the world. It's a question of whether we should privatize the normal water supply for the population. And there are two different opinions on the matter. One opinion, which I think is extreme, is represented by the NGOs, non-governmental organizations, who bang on about declaring water a public right. That means that as a human being, you should have a right to water. That's an extreme solution. The other view says that water is a food stuff like any other. And like any other foodstuff, it should have a market value. Personally, I believe it's better to give a foodstuff a value so that we're all aware it has a price. 
and then that one should take specific measures for the part of the population that has no access to this water, and there are many different possibilities there. I added a little emphasis in there, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can hear how sinister that could sound. Yeah, I think the evil is there. I don't think... <laughs> All yeah. these NGOs trying to make water a public right. A lot of Nestle critics interpreted this as an attack on the poor, uh, attack on communities suffering from drought, and other people on the margins of society who cannot afford to pay this, quote, market price for water. He did walk the statement back a little bit in 2013 after this public outcry, as you can possibly imagine. Um, he said he said in a YouTube video that Nestle released, I have always supported the human right to water. Everyone should have enough safe, clean water to meet their fundamental daily needs, but not to fill a pool or wash a car. Water – and then he talked for a minute about how it's a very precious resource mm-hmm. and how we're kind of running out or I mean, you know, how there's different areas that don't have a lot of access to it. And he, and he furthermore said, water should be better managed, should be better valued. If we give water value, there will be incentive to invest in looking after our supply. Yeah. So you can see the logic. Yeah. He's not, he's not really changing the content of what he's saying. He's framing it in a different way. Yeah. Ultimately, he's saying we got to respect water enough that it's valuable enough that we're not going to pollute it too bad. And I've heard, I've heard uh, similar arguments advanced uh, about human life. Ooh, if there's enough of a value well, I'm just on saying life. Maybe we should value that as well yeah. if we're assigning value to things. I mean, come on. That's that whole idea of selling bullets for more than a gun, right? Yeah. I mean, if we can't sell bullets and people, then really what are we doing here? Let's walk that one back. <laughs> no, keep it. Please. <laughs> uh, we do want to be clear, that was not a quote from the CEO, right? No, 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 no. No, no, no that was just my own sarcasm. <laughs> so, sarcasm, folks. Oh, goodness, they don't know me here. <laughs> so uh, this – it's interesting too because there's a little bit of doublethink or a paradox here in that Nestle has a successful bottled water business because they are treating water as a public good by extracting it from land lease agreements where they just have access to the resources on the land. So they're not putting a huge value on it on their side. The value changes depending on their profit margin. Right. Right. But they're the world's largest supplier of bottled water. Yeah. 7% of their sales come from bottled water. That's about 7.7 billion worldwide in recent years. And – $7.7 billion worth of bottled water. Just from them, yeah. For kind of scope, I don't have a number for the whole world worth of of water, Mm -hmm. of the water industry, the bottled water industry. But just in the United States, it was worth um, $18.5 billion in 2017 and was growing. And now they own, what, 64 different bottled water brands across the planet the big question is – Oh, no, no. Yeah. We got to say these. Oh, OK. Name them. We got to say these because sure, sure. you, you're drinking these. You might have one in your hand right now. Deer Park, uh, guilty on my end. Poland Spring, also guilty. Aquapana, not so much. San Pellegrino, sure. Perrier, sometimes, but only when I'm feeling fancy. Springs, <laughs> Water Park, and Waterline. I would add to that Pure Life, yeah. which is huge in other countries. So where do they get all this water? It turns out that they're taking it from you if you are the resident of many rural communities across the U.S., uh, in Brazil, 
in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, in Europe. Uh, but how, Ben? I'm so glad you asked, Matt. Thank you. They similar to the Daniel Day Lewis character in There Will Be Blood. <laughs> they're drinking the, your milkshake. They're they're buying up areas that give them access to groundwater or springs, and they're using that to uh, they're using that to fill the bottles. But as they're draining these aquifers. They're moving the water away from where it would have naturally existed. That's it's a it's such a perfect example there, the Daniel Day Lewis character from There Will Be Blood, because these aquifers are so massive underneath the land where people are walking around on all day. You don't realize that they're down there, but if if you can put you know a series of pipes down into the aquifer at one point in this massive space of of water mm-hmm. you could just suck it right up like that milkshake it's such a good it's it's perfect and terrible and real and <laughs> oh, God. and to add to that the the company is so large that they have um they have acquired a t- a, a, a tremendous amount of influence especially in smaller communities we don't know exactly how much water that they've been extracting with this method. But in 2015, uh, some journalists found that Nestle had been illegally draining water from lands that were leased by the Morongo Band of Mission Indians in a desert area. And they'd also been taking water from the San Bernardino National Forest. They did have a permit to do this. It expired in 1988. Uh, oops. Is that just is that is that just uh, something that got overlooked because it's a huge operation? Well, I mean, also another number related to that instance: they had been paying five hundred and twenty-four dollars a year to extract about thirty million gallons of water there. Mm-hmm. Wow! Including during the drought, so you can already see how this profit margin is going to work out. Right. Right. That an independent analysis put the total water extraction at. Um, 1 billion gallons per year over time. And if we think about how many bottles of water that is, right? What, what's a, what is it, 12-ounce bottle of water, 16 ounces, something like that? Sure, yeah, something like that. that uh, sure, that, those sound like numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we can see just how little they would be paying, even with the cost of transportation and infrastructure, how little they're paying to produce these. Right. And I and I did want to put in here that, like, while we can all agree that drinking bottled water is better for our health than drinking bottled soda, mm-hmm. the, the marketing of bottled water as safer or healthier than tap water for, for the general population is – and this is a scientific term – a bunch of hooey. Mm. <laughs> um, the stuff was safer in the 18th and 19th centuries for like people in, st- in cities who didn't want cholera or typhoid or dysentery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later, of course, in the 1980s when the EPA found a lot of lead in a lot of drinking water. But like these problems were fixable. Public health movements in the early 20th century created free, filtered, chlorinated water for many developed cities, removing concerns of disease. And in most part, cities rushed to solve the lead issues in the 80s and 90s. But they they put fluoride in the water instead. They do. I'm sure that's a whole other episode it that is. I'm sure you guys have done more than once. It's fine. Don't worry <laughs> about it. But okay, so but bottled water has roots in health and purity movements of the 1800s, uh, kind of like I was talking about earlier. Um, folks then started selling bottled water from places like Saratoga Springs, like to rich people. Um, 
Mostly. Well, yeah, because there's like cachet to it, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this is fancy mineral water and it's naturally carbonated because we don't have good carbonation technology yet. So, ooh, drink it and it's healthy and stuff. Um, but I don't know why my ghost voice is also <laughs> my – sure. Anyway, um, but yeah, so mostly it wasn't a thing among people – bottled water was not a thing among people who didn't have another choice until the 1970s. And that's when PET Plastic went commercial and Perrier started sponsoring athletic events like the New York City Marathon in order to push the healthfulness of their water. Um, even today, with the aging infrastructure problems like we have in Flint and on Canada's First Nations reserves, the majority of marketing of bottled water is bent to that like health purity image, like what should be an emergency solution for temporarily unsafe water is being sold as a lifestyle. Now you get bottled water in a... A nice uh, glass bottle that you find in your fancy schmancy hotel rooms in, in Philadelphia. That's true. That's true. There wasn't actually much water in those bottles. Almost no water in there. Mm-hmm. I, I forget the name of that brand. Voss. Voss water. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, the bottles are pretty. They are. You know, <laughs> they're they're a real statement. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I felt when I was when I got one from the hotel we were at. We we're on the road. I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna. Walk around with this and feel like I'm, I'm saying something. I don't know what it is, but I'm making a statement about something. I think it's just a noise, and it's like, mm. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think that's, that's what the, the noise statement. is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this continues. This there's more to this water story, but let's bracket that for a second and look at another huge controversy with Nestle, which is the idea of baby formula. Just like back in the late 1800s, Nestle remains invested in formula and baby food products. But the problem nowadays centers less on the product itself and more on the marketing. And I'm using that term in a very generous way. Well, by the first decade of the 20th century, Nestle ads were saying stuff like, don't wait too long before you wean the baby. If you do, the little one is likely to be weak and anemic. They admitted in these ads that breast milk was the best for young babies. But for babies six months and up, they said that their product was the nearest thing in the world. And this splendid triumph of care and science is so like mother's milk that the tiny stomach won't notice the difference. Nestle. That which is wrong. (laughs) So wrong. So, so wrong. On and, multiple levels, yeah. Oh, sure. And we've we've done a lot of – not us personally, mm-hmm. but but researchers have done a lot into looking into this in the past few decades. And yeah, bre- breast milk is better. Breast milk is like the best thing. If we could all right now, everybody listening to this, be just drinking breast milk instead of coffee, we'd be good to go. This is uh, this is for real. Well, well, uh, cer- certainly you can you can get some <laughs> some antibodies. I like that he's passionate. I like that you're passionate. I about learned this. a lot about it when we had a kid. It just—it's incredible stuff. But not everyone has evolved the genetic mutation to drink milk into adulthood. Oh, true. It's and just something. That, there are a lot of problems with the thing that I said. It's just I was—I was being <laughs> hyperbolic. I'm sorry. No, don't, don't be sorry. I wish don't everyone do that ever, please. <laughs> I mean. Also, until until men really start figuring out how to lactate more regularly, I think I think we're going to have a supply chain problem. Yeah, just I logistically. I really tried. And Nestle also wanted to um, lactate. Well, they they guess they're kind of your nemesis here. They wanted people to stop lactating. Oh, right. They became big formula. These ads are categorically wrong, right? Some would say it's ethically wrong, but it's definitely – the science doesn't bear out is the problem. And in the 1990s, 
Probably knowing this already, Nestle began pushing formula aggressively in developing and poor countries, specifically targeting the poorest among them. And they had campaigns that were meant to make formula seem um, equal as, as good for the kid, if not better, than breast milk. But the first problem here that crops up is in a medical sphere. A lot of these countries don't have great water infrastructure and you have to have sanitary water to use this powdered formula. I believe it was powdered at that time. Absolutely, yeah. So if you don't have access to clean water or you don't have access to the technology to boil the water or you don't speak the language that uh, in which the instructions are printed on the container, what good is uh, – What good are English instructions if there's a place where the country has 30 different languages and the main one is Portuguese? Yeah, I know. I think Nestle needed to get on that hobo code. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, hobo code. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this this comes out after after our last show, right? So we can say hobo code and don't have to explain what it is. Exactly. Perfect. It's just a callback. Do you know what we're talking about? I was at your show, yes. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. <laughs> I can tell it meant a lot to you. Yeah. Oh, preclept. But uh, Nestle does seem to have knowingly ignored these risks. The risk of uh, improper creation of the formula, the risk of unsanitary water, the health, uh, the health complications that arrive when a child is put on formula. And – this was, this concern was cast aside. UNICEF estimates that a formula-fed child, by the way, just for some facts, living in a disease-ridden and unhygienic condition is going to be between 6 and 25 times more likely to die of diarrhea and four times more likely to die of pneumonia in comparison to a child that has been breastfed. So, wow. Because, well, there is a, there's a natural filter there, which is the mom. Yeah. She filters a lot of that bad stuff out. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. And there's another problem, which is that if we're talking about destitute communities, often mothers would tend to use less formula than was needed because they wanted to make it last longer because you see – all right. So there's this thing called the International Baby Food Action Network. It's a real thing. I think it's a great name for an extremist group. They are not. It sounds like a kid's TV show or something. Baby Action Network. <laughs> You know what I mean? I would watch that show. I, I, would, I would check it out. I would give it a chance. Fair. <laughs> I don't know if I would make it through the whole season, but I'll just ask you. But, dude, they've got some crazy allegations, right? It's not crazy. They're just intense. Right. Because Nestle, they, according to their belief or their allegations, Nestle distributes free formula samples in hospitals and maternity wards across these countries knowing that this will interfere with the natural lactation process. And not only in these in these less developed countries, but also in the United States. Uh, also in places where we don't need that. Wow. Yeah. We got yeah. a bunch of samples when uh when we had our child. Yeah. A ton of stuff sent home with us for free. Mm-hmm. Uh formulas, all well, the kinds first of ones free. Sure. That's exactly. the thing. That's the thing because once this has interfered with the natural lactation process and you go away from the hospital or the maternity ward or what have you, you find out that the formula is no longer free. So the Baby Food Action Network says that Nestle is operating under the guise of humanitarian aid. But what they're really trying to do is to create a market, a captive market at that. They say Nestle is – 
purposefully – Nestle is aware that this interference with natural uh, milk production can occur and they want it to. That's the argument. Yikes. That's a, that's a heavy accusation. Um, I wish it didn't feel so real, so like correct. I wish it didn't. So you think it you think it was nefarious in some way? Like you think it was not just It was nefarious whether they meant to or not. Right? I mean, if this is actually happening, if they're giving all these free samples which we have seen, I have seen personally, mm-hmm. uh it's it's not so great. Well, and then the argument could be that maybe the corporate heart is in the right place. But, yeah, we're just giving you free things. But we just neglected to understand the long-term consequences. Well, right up until someone said, hey, there's long-term consequences, at which point, you know. They did keep going. They did keep going. They did keep going. And and they could certainly have a program where they offer these supplies for free to hospitals and maternity wards Mm -hmm. for patients who need them, Mm -hmm. uh, for Mm -hmm. patients who request them, for uh, specific cases where, for whatever reason, the mother or the baby cannot breastfeed. Mm -hmm. And there have been been doctors in some developing countries who – say that the way the way this stuff should work is that they should have to write prescriptions for formula. Oh, wow. They should Oof. put that filter up. That's not Because writing idea. a prescription on their end would be free, but it would also be a way to keep the doctor involved. Yeah. The, uh, the, you know. Medical provider. Of there we go. Sure. That's the one. I don't know why that was difficult for me. But – but it's it's true. This has been something that's been brewing for a long, long time. Nestle, for their part, denies all the accusations, all the accusations across the board. And they said, we don't even know where to start looking to figure out if this is true because there's no – you haven't given us anything specific enough. But still, this led to a large push for boycotts. The first U.S. boycott of Nestle begins in July of 77, 1977, and then it spreads to Europe. And in 1981, the World Health Assembly adopts a code, um, a policy on the marketing of breast milk substitutes, which sounds very specific. And they say it is a minimum requirement that has to be adopted in its entirety. In 84, Nestle assents and they can implement the code. Boycott gets suspended. But surprise, surprise, it came back in 1988 because most people who had a problem with it pre-boycott said that they didn't fix anything post-boycott. So that's uh, the story of Nestle and infant formula. Well, I, I like that we start with kids. Let's. Do you want to stick with kids? I think we should, but I think we need an ad break between this, just as a bit of a palate cleanser. Yeah. Um, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, hear from from some sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We're back with a twisted segue. I believe we set this up as um, we we enjoyed. It's not the right word for our conversation about formula, but uh, we do want to stick with kids uh, because it turns out that there's more to the story. Nestle isn't just participating in a cover-up or a conspiracy to uh, to extract water from small communities. It's not just through either incompetence or nefarious designs um, forcing children to drink fo- baby formula. It's, it's also cutting out the middleman of exploitation entirely and, and diving right into, um, as we established earlier, uh, slavery, human trafficking, child labor. You know what I mean? At least it's being accused of such and there are some uh, – there's some evidence to show that it's ha- it's been happening in yes. the supply chain, right? Chocolate. Yeah. Right. Now, we're not saying it's, – it's not like we're saying there's some crazy corporate psychopath with like a, a monocle and a candy bar top hat slugging down San Pellegrino's as he snatches children off the street. But – Hopefully not. Yeah, well, hopefully not. But it, it is true. Like you said, Lauren, with chocolate – and like you said, Matt, with the supply chain, there's compelling evidence that they're the people they are buying products from, cocoa, beans, and, and so on, that those folks are engaging in slavery, child labor, human trafficking, and pretty gruesome acts of abuse. Oh, yeah. In 2005, the International Labor Rights Fund filed one of those lawsuits against Nestle and uh, several other companies on behalf of three children from Mali. 
And the suit alleged that these kids were trafficked to the Ivory Coast where they were enslaved, where they were abused on a regular basis and forced to work on a cocoa plantation. Uh, not great. Mm-hmm. Case so, went on for years, right? Exactly. In 2010, the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California they determined that corporations cannot be held liable for violations of international law and dismissed this suit. Isn't that, isn't that special, as they say? Uh, this was, of course, a controversial decision. When, since then, it has been appealed. But isn't, it, isn't that crazy that a, a corporation cannot be – or at least the thought at the time – was that this corporation can't be held liable for violations of international law through its practices of creating products. Uh, right, especially when it's an international corporation. Yeah. That's a good point. I guess the the logic there is that it would be a huge hindrance to business operations and a huge expense to have to send people to yeah. every place physically to check on these things. And people need needs, you know? People everyone people everywhere need needs. We need our Kit Kats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. Oh, man. Everyone, everyone needs. Now, this isn't restricted to a single incident. That's the problem. There was a report done by an independent auditor, a group called the Fair Labor Association, and they said that they found Nestle committed multiple serious violations of its own internal labor code. So the, it's corporate laws, let, let alone the laws of the land and the state. This was at the very least – a um, a large degree of negligence, if not tacit approval of slavery and child labor. And here's the thing. Nestle commissioned the study. Nestle said, show us what we need to know. And the fair labor folks came back and they were like, wow, this is monstrous. And they're like, whoa, really? That's crazy. Yeah. No way. No way. Not us. And uh, we have a quote from then Executive Vice President for Operations, Jose Lopez. The use of child labor in our cocoa supply chain goes against everything we stand for. No company sourcing cocoa from the Ivory Coast can guarantee that it doesn't happen. But we can say that tackling child labor is a top priority for our company. Okay. So again, the argument is that no company of that size especially can be 100 percent certain of how their suppliers are behaving, especially, they seem to say, in this area of the world. It's not surprising that critics remained unsatisfied with that response. And as of this recording, an estimated 1.8 million children in West Africa alone are at risk of becoming a victim of child labor. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to take a breather here for a second. Yeah, maybe it was too much to to have another child-related one. But maybe we should stay – maybe we should stay geopolitical. Maybe we should go oh. to another country. Sure. Oh, <laughs> should we talk about uh, like – Corporations going in and strong-arming countries by making them pay back massive debts? So this is a weird one. In 2002, Ethiopia was in the grips of a nationwide brutal famine and Nestle came to Ethiopia in its time of need and said, you owe us $6 million. Uh, this claim dates back to the 1970s when the military of Ethiopia seized the assets of foreign companies. But things took a turn because the public found out about this and they began to speak up. Oh, yes. The company received over 40,000 letters from people who were absolutely outraged 
in one of the most famous cases of public opinion beat corporate greed that exists on the planet. Uh, in the end, Nestle took a U-turn. They settled for, I guess, uh, partially being they repaid. They still took some money. Oh, definitely. They're like, okay, okay, guys, look, like, just give us some of it. We'll meet you halfway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um in the end, Nestle did take a U-turn and they settled for just some of the debt that yeah, was they, owed. they still took some cash. Yeah. yeah they, they, we'll meet you halfway. Right, right, right. And uh, in their defense, they also took that money that Ethiopia gave them and invested a portion of it to in the country to help it bounce back from famine. That's very nice. It's really weird. It's It's – They could have just not taken the money. I don't know. But maybe there's an argument that they had better international development experience and so would be better stewards of that money. That's that's an argument you would hear. I I could tell. (laughs) It's very politely worded. I I can read the room here in the podcast studio. I could tell that you all are not persuaded. Uh, I'll, I'll check in with Paul and see what he thinks. But while they were in Ethiopia, oh, around the same time, roughly, they made a deal with the wife of the infamous dictator from Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, made a deal with his wife, Grace Mugabe, to buy one million liters of milk a year from farms that she had taken over. Because you see, Grace Mugabe had a uh, booming side business of taking over large farms in Zimbabwe that were white-owned. At least uh, six of them since 2002. Yeah, yeah. And so this is building a farming empire from these illegally confiscated farmlands. And, you know, Zimbabwe has a very, very upsetting history of of racial tension, colonialism, resource extraction, and so on. Uh, But these farms were taken illegally. At it, least as far as the international community thinks. Well, yeah, it led to another series of boycotts, yet yet another, um, as well as sanctions in both the uh, European Union and the United States. Yeah. I know it sounds like we're picking on Nestle. These are just things that you probably don't know about a candy company. Even Canada got beefed up with them. Dude, they're a lean cuisine company, okay? They're a dog food company. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they're, they're all things. They're a Hot Pockets company. Come on. And that at the end of the day – that's what it is. At the end of the day, what matters more than Hot Pockets? Hot Pockets. You can put anything in them. So let's talk about price fixing. <laughs> <laughs> price, yeah, yeah. price fixing is a, a fun thing where companies work together, people who are in the same market share, to uh, to control the prices of things. A lot of times it's to keep them high, keep prices high. That way everybody gets a lot of that moolah. Sometimes it's to strategically keep the prices low. Either way, Mm -hmm. it's strategized. Well, guess what? Nestle has been accused uh, of this and they even got raided. Yeah, Nestle Canada got raided along with Hershey Canada and Mars Canada. They all have the word Canada in their names because they're the Canadian branch of the company. I feel like I'm over-explaining that. It makes sense, though. So these, uh, this company, Nestle and other companies, the ones we just mentioned, mm-hmm. they're subject to a class action lawsuit, or several of them per company. And ultimately, they settled for $9 million without accepting, as per usual, as we've learned on this mm-hmm. show, without accepting any liability without admitting any guilt or any issues there. It's like, we did nothing wrong, but here's a lot of money. It's a, is it a lot of money to them? How much do they make? $90.8 billion. 
in total revenue, though, that's not profit. Yeah, and sure. this is yeah, Nestle Canada doesn't rake in all that cash, but they <laughs> rake in quite a bit, I'm assuming. Yeah, but the you know this this happens. A lot of lawsuits are settled out of court this way, right? Uh, they also have been look. They they're not hurting for money. That's true. Uh, they are a business, though, and they need to be quite aware of where a profit can be found. Mm-hmm. That is why they have been involved in like the weirdest round of criticism regarding pollution. It's nuts. In a circuitous way, Nestle actually makes some some real scratch, some solid cheese off of pollution. They. I said, I'm sorry, what now? Yeah, wait. They, yeah, yeah, okay. The, the, main, the main part of the, this is going to go back to water, but they have historically and sometimes still do source inexpensive palm oil. And palm oil is a, is a vegetable oil made from the fruit of oil palm trees. Makes sense, right? <laughs> uh, it goes into a lot of their candies and other products that include processed fats. And it's a crop – that fuels a lot of deforestation, endangers a lot of species, like the cute ones, like like tigers and orangutans, stuff like that. And it creates a lot of pollution in the areas where they're grown and processed, uh, Africa, Asia, and South America primarily. Are you saying tigers are cute? Yeah. Tigers are terrifying, Tigers are amazing. They're majestic kitters. I didn't mean to sound so definitive about that. I, Yeah, they're... What's his name? Did you have a bad time with tigers? I mean, I have a three-year-old and I've been reading about tigers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, just – I've been to the zoo a lot lately. The tiger is crazy scary. (laughs) It's huge. It would eat you. Just bite your face off. I mean, so would cats. Yeah. It's just a size thing. Yeah. Tigers are also brilliant. Uh, They have – this is a – this doesn't have anything to do with this episode. But um, (laughs) – Tigers who have been wounded in the wild in Siberia and stuff, uh, if they manage to escape, they are able to, like corvids, remember the smell and the appearance of the person who wounded them. And there's been at least one proven case where a tiger was attacked, escaped in Siberia, waited for winter to hit when it knew it – it stalked the guy for months what? and just waited for it to get too cold for it to leave his house. And then you can see the footprints that the tiger walked around in increasingly closer spirals. Whoa. And then it came through his back window, snatched him, uh, drug him out. And uh, I, I don't remember what parts of the body they found. I'm not saying Richard Parker isn't a <laughs> badass assassin. I'm just saying – uh, yikes! That's all. It's just I just take issue with them being cute because I agree there are kitty cats and kitty cats are cute, but they're big old scary kitty cats that will assassinate you after waiting Tigers for a long are time. Amazing. <laughs> okay. I think this is my new personality test. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Uh, also, Annie Reese, your co-host of Saver, has a very fascinating personality test. That I believe she was entirely making up on the spot. I can't think of what it might be, but that doesn't mean that it didn't exist previously. We'll have to ask her about it. Absolutely. We'll have to ask her about it. It's a good, uh, it's a good road trip conversation. Ooh, for you guys. yeah. So, no, so palm yeah, oil bad. Yeah. Palm oil bad. Palm oil is bad. Yes. Tiger's good. And Tiger's moon. Okay, <laughs> but um, what about plastic bottles? How are they? Well, in the U.S. and the West at large, increasing concern over plastic bottles has sent more and more customers back to reusable bottles or 
tap water, you know, and this has knocked Nestle's profits down a bit. And I do want to point out there's something very clever and very calculated at play here in the U.S. at least concerning consumer plastic. 90% of all the plastic pollution that we hear about in the oceans of the world mm-hmm. comes from commercial fisheries. It comes from gigantic nets and, and things of that nature. Yeah, the straws that you use are not contributing that seriously compared to those items to mm-hmm. the Great Pacific Raft and stuff like that. Right, right. And plastic bottles do play a huge role in pollution. But again, don't let people run this sort of shell game on you. It's I think it's brilliant that so many corporations have, have – uh, had this change of heart moment, such great PR where they're like, you know what? We decided to be the change. We're going to make a difference here at Conglomco. No (laughs) more straws. Yeah. And people are like, oh, that's great. Man, you guys are really brave. Uh, But the (laughs) one other major, just because we're kind of talking about baby food, a major contributing factor, though, that I've been reading about more and more are these little food pouches Mm -hmm. that that people are buying for for kids and adults. Like the Go-Gurt kind of? Exactly. That have a little plastic top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that plastic top in particular is uh, becoming a massive problem. And uh, the other thing is you guys have seen the – water bottle refillers around Atlanta and in a lot of other cities. Have you seen these? Mm-hmm. It sure. looks like a water fountain where you just put your water bottle up to it and you can refill your water bottle. Oh, that yeah. sounds cool. Uh, yeah, so smart. <laughs> I'm just That makes me so happy uh, when we're thinking about the pollution that even though it's not as bad as commercial fisheries, yeah. the pollution that is generated from plastic products like that. Oh, absolutely. So how does, how does Nestle – end up making a profit off of this. To find the answer there, we have to travel across the Pacific because sales may be down in the U.S. and the West, but in China, sales are up in part due to pollution. About 70% of China's lakes and rivers have been polluted, although people will tell you virtually all the surface water is now unsafe to drink in that country unless it's been treated. I don't know how much of that is exaggeration, how much of that bears up to scrutiny. But they have a ton of industrial facilities, power and chemical plants, paper and textile factories. And this means that a lot of the people living in the country don't trust the water or the purification infrastructure in China. So they buy more and more bottled water from companies like Nestle who, again, they make a huge margin out of this stuff. What did you say earlier about California? They pay like 500 something a year? 524 yeah, $524 for every 300 million gallons. And uh, you, you pay like minimum, what, $1.29 per bottle? Yeah. For 12 to 16 ounces? What do you think that 29 cents is about? It's to make it, you know, you know how this, we, I, didn't you and I do something about pricing, like why there are so many nines? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's aspirational, but you're also saving a penny. I, I don't think it works on us anymore because now uh, 30 seems like less to a lot of people <laughs> because there's a zero at the end. Yeah. Oh. That's ridiculous, right? So, so this whole idea goes back, I think the most, perhaps the most important thing here is that Nestle is a company that makes foodstuffs for the most part. They also make, you know, we've talked about all the other companies they have a hand in, but for the most part, they're creating products which you buy, you open up, Mm -hmm. throw away the packaging, and then eat the part that's edible, right? That, That creates a lot of waste, a lot of trash. And it doesn't mean that 
you know, Nestle is for some nefarious purpose trying to take on Captain Planet because they're bad guys. It's not like they're sitting around like Montgomery Burns doing the, you know, rubbing their hands together. There's a better word for that. What is it? Yeah, like, like a little like, like raccoon hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just sort of, just sort of uh, rubbing their own palms together and saying, how, how, how should we ruin the world today? Yeah. What? Why? And someone's like, well, we could, I don't know, um, uh, uh, got me on the spot here, Monty. We could, uh, we could start a war. We could poison the food. And it's like, no, 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 something more nuanced. And then they're like, okay, okay, um, 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 uh, pollute everything. And they're like, mm, mm. Yeah. Have you considered single-use packaging? Uh, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's not that. They're not some supervillain right. being evil like that. Right. They're the Onceler. They're a giant corporation now mm-hmm. making tons and tons of products with tons and tons of packaging. And that is just what happens when you do that. And as people are you providing a huge boost to economies and uh, – uh, job opportunities. Those are another. That's another PC argument you'll hear. Yeah, watch the Lorax. Although, hey, we're not even talking about the industrial runoff from the industrial factories who are who are creating these plastic products. Read the Lorax. That's true. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's absolutely true. And or that's, yes, that's we are point. then. Good point. And unfortunately, awesome. unfortunately, you know, they don't have to be a purposefully malevolent entity if it if you're a corporation. And job is, as Matt said, to pursue a profit. And that means that everything to a certain degree is going to be a lower priority, including pollution. There are very few companies in the world that would say we're going to operate at a loss for 10 years to help make the world a better place. That's just not a viable 10-year plan. That's not something a company does. So maybe not immoral, but amoral. And there we have it. The world's largest food and beverage company is the subject of numerous controversies, boycotts, criticisms, and arguably, yes, cover-ups. One thing we did cut from this episode was the uh, the delightful tale of the fluoride mafia, which is – yeah, we found this – it's this group of people who believe that – Nestle is so large because it is secretly charged by some elite cabal with the task of putting fluoride in everything. Ooh. That's their big master plan. Fluoride in everything. Not not just the usual water. No, every everything. Like fluoride flavored Kit Kats. Fluoride flavored Purina, okay. Beneful. Yeah. It seems extreme. Hey. <laughs> Do you have no comment on that one? No, I I don't know. I haven't researched that. You don't want to get involved with with big fluoride, right? We all <laughs> dose ourselves at least two times a day if we're good adults and or children. Yeah, there you go. That's a bright side. Brush your teeth. See, there you go. <laughs> so, so what happens now? What does this mean for anyone who was already familiar with this stuff or anyone who just learned about it? If you support Nestle and disagree with its critics, if you think they're being alarmist or you think they're trying to create problems where none really exist, then kudos. Congrats. You, you lucked out. Life goes on as normal. Yeah. Eat as many Kit Kats as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Get that Purina and feed it to your dogs and then put that DiGiorno in the oven, crack open a nice San Pellegrino and watch the world burn. 
That's great. Let's put that on a T-shirt. Okay. <laughs> Tell us if that should be a T-shirt. Yeah, so we should be doing more IGU commercials too. Yeah, I believe um, Global Unlimited, the uh, illuminated ones, they, uh, they've got something coming out or they've like, like co-sponsored something that's coming out on Saver. Uh, yeah, over on Saver where we're doing a reading of the Grimm Brothers story, The Almond Tree. Oh. It's, you know, it's about cannibalism, so we thought it would be perfect for Thanksgiving. Um, so it's coming out the, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. For our non-American listeners, that is November 23rd. Look for it. Share it with your loved ones. Don't give them a context. Just like walk in during Thanksgiving dinner, knock some stuff off the table, slam down a boombox. You do need a boombox for this. And then just, just play it and pick one person and make weirdly hostile eye contact with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, so definitely do that. Um, you can, uh, if you have any questions or comments about Nestle and any of the things we've talked about today, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Conspiracy stuff with most of those conspiracy stuff show on Instagram. You can, uh, you can call us. Mm, that's true, Matt. We are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Yeah, I gotta always highlight that STD because yeah. it's um, the most important. Want to be transparent know. about that? Yeah, just let people know. Be careful. It's the really. responsible thing to mm-hmm. do. Sure. Um, and the other thing you could do is join our Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. Mm-hmm. That's where you can join a lot of us and our fellow conspiracy realists and just discuss things. Post some dope memes. What kind of memes? Dank. I forget the cool, hip memes. You can post those there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so that's where you can find us for the most part. And we know what you're probably asking yourself here. Probably like, guys, I know because you say this stuff at the end of every show, right? I don't care how to contact you. I already know how to do it. Stop yelling STD at me at the end of the episode. <laughs> but uh, but you are probably wondering how you can get in contact with Saver. Oh, goodness. You can find us uh, – yes, it's Savor, the podcast. You can look us up via any internet search engine. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod uh, or email us at hello at SaverPod.com. Com. We we would we would love to hear from you, and we occasionally get angry about giant corporations on our show too. So I don't know. Come tune in. Listen to our sugar episodes. We get really angry. Uh, I am a big fan of one of your more recent episodes. Has this title? I don't know if you heard this, Matt. Mayonnaise or mayonnaise? Like uh, I don't want to. N a y. Yeah. 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 Annie. Annie strongly dislikes mayonnaise. It's one of her top five least favorite foods. It's so fascinating. The story of mayonnaise and some of the things you talk about in the episode it is genuinely fascinating. And I love mayonnaise. Yeah. It's the European whatever blood I have in me. Uh-huh. I just want to <laughs> dip my fries in it. I oh, just want to yeah. slather it on my sandwiches. Mm-hmm. I, I do not care. I'll put it on a PB&J. What? I'll do it. There's a, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> live your life, man. I got your back. Uh, there's also a... A group of people that believes there is, for lack of a better term, a mayo conspiracy. Right. Yeah. There was just a Twitter message about this. Yeah. That um, that big mayo is like part of big agra and that this is a, a problem specifically in the way that vegan mayonnaise yeah. companies have been, have been treated in the larger market. And I will say that mostly that's an issue of the definition, the legal definition from the FDA of mayonnaise, which yeah. includes eggs. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. a that's a reason why vegan mayo has not been allowed to market itself as mayonnaise. Yeah. So that's part of the problem. Because vegan mayonnaise isn't mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is fat 
and eggs, delicious. And some, and some oil. Mm. Yeah, yeah, vegetable oil, vegetable yeah. oil, and eggs mostly. No, I need I need my mayonnaise to be made out of bacon grease. <laughs> that oh. also cannot be marketed as mayonnaise. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> it's like baconaise at that point. Oh, or some sort of aioli. Uh, but you know what, man. You got to be the change, right? If you want that bacon mayonnaise to happen, I I have full faith that you will do so. Paul is going to turn us into baconaise if we don't get the that's hell out true. Of here. That's true. That's true. So, <laughs> what do you do if you uh, if if you're familiar with all these different social media shenanigans and you care for none of them? We have good news for you. You can send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.